Let me ask you to turn to John chapter 13. And while you're turning, uh, just a, a couple of things. One is uh, we began our inquirers class this morning. And if uh, you were planning to come or you still want to come, uh, it's, it's not too late. Uh, the class we did this morning will be repeated on Wednesday evening at 6.30. So you're welcome to come to that one. And, uh, and we'll be doing that each week through these uh, three weeks. So... Uh, keep that in mind. And then secondly, as, uh, you know, as we have gathered for worship today, uh, we're all probably conscious because we were watching the news and watching cancellations and, and so on. Uh, and uh, I have friends that uh, they uh, felt the need to cancel church. I just want to caution everybody this week to uh, be careful with taking pride that we met for worship today. I know my own heart. And uh, so if you have friends that say, yeah, we got the day off or whatever, don't, don't go there. Um, I believe we'll be blessed uh, as we worship, and, and when it comes to uh, canceling church, we will, whenever, if there is danger, be assured that that's our, our concern. But every church had to make their own decision, and every church made the best decision they could make. And so, uh, while I believe we will be blessed as we have gathered uh, the quickest way to lose that blessing, as we will see even in this passage, is with pride. So let's see what God's Word has to say in John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already uh, put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus answered him. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, 
but is completely clean, and, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, thank you for our time of worship. Thank you that you are a faithful God. Thank you for your protection that for some reason you saw fit to dissipate a storm before it hit us. But that's not because we deserve it. It's simply your protection. And so we thank you for that. And now, Lord, we would ask that you would enable us as we study this this portion of your word, and we pray it in Jesus' precious name, amen. Since last week we uh, jumped out of John for our anniversary celebration, which we do each year. I want to remind us where we are and and take a look at at the setting here because this really is a a dividing point in the Gospel of John. Uh, Look what he says now. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So, why is it a dividing point? Well, we've gone through 12 chapters in uh, this Gospel of John. And in those 12 chapters, it started at the beginning with creation. (laughs) So, obviously, in some areas, there's a big fast forward, and and now we're about to, to put on the brakes Big time. Because we had uh, Jesus declaring who he was and what his role was uh, in creation in the very beginning of the Gospel of John. And then we see it go into his ministry. And then we see portions of the three years of his public ministry. And then here we are. We're at what most call the Last Supper. And that's okay. I, I think technically the, the better label would be the Last Passover or the First Supper. 
because that's really what was taking place here. This is only hours from the cross, and yet we're halfway through the book. And so we're, we're going to slow down in chapters 13 through 17. We have his teachings from between what happens here and the cross. Now his hour had come. Over and over through this gospel and through the other gospels, uh, we would see where it would, it would say, well, his hour had not yet come, my hour is, had not, has not yet come, and so on. He would disappear, he would walk through the crowd, he would go away for a period of time because the hour had not yet come, but now it says Jesus knew that his hour had come. So that's what's, what's taking place here. Now, if you're within hours of death and somebody is lucid and able to talk and if they were to know, this, this doesn't typically happen, they were to know that their death is coming, well, let's put it this way. We should always pay attention to what Jesus says, always. But when it's within hours of his death, of course, we need, to, we need to be extra attentive here. What is he going to bring to bear on these disciples that will be those last impressions, not for eternity, because he would teach them again after he was resurrected, but certainly just just emblazoned upon their minds and hearts for the rest of their lives, what would he say to them? I don't want you to miss this next phrase, though, and all this is by way of the, the background of what's going on here. It says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So this is both looking back and looking forward. So everything in the book was uh, up till now, starting with creation, was God through Jesus showing how much he loves his people. Everything in there. Every part of his ministry, every teaching, every miracle, uh, every interaction, every trial everything that took place. And here he's teaching them and he says he loved them to the end. Now I, I think as his disciples, here's how we need to see this. He, he loved them to the end, meaning he went to the cross and he loved them right to the end there. But that, we know, wasn't the end because he was put in a grave, he was resurrected, he taught them again, he ascended into heaven. And that's still not the end. But he was with them through the rest of their lives. We've already talked about how, how uh, you take Judas out of the equation. Uh, all of them, with the exception of John, were martyred at least according to historic tradition. 
And John, as we said, lived a life of martyrdom uh, as uh, he was exiled. And they talk about him being tortured at one point as well. So he loved them to the end of their lives. And he will love you to the end of your life if you're his own. But it doesn't stop there. It's not just that he will love you to the end of your life. He will love you then until he comes back again and then for all eternity. So that's why this is looking back and it's looking forward in terms of his love for us. That's the setting and and really that's the setting that anyone who was in that room could have said, here's what happened uh, that night. We were getting ready for Passover. But then, all the while, during this time, there was what I've called in your outline an unseen setting. Look at verse 2. It says, during supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So here's what happens here. We, We get kind of a peek through the curtain to that which nobody in that room could see that was going on except Jesus. We see Satan in his futile attempt to stop salvation from taking place. How's he gonna stop it? Maybe the murder of Jesus. Do you see? So Satan's got got his role in this. He's going to use the the evil heart of an evil man, of a traitor. But but, But God is using all of this to accomplish his purpose of salvation. So that's the unseen thing that is going on. Verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God. So it's with that knowledge. Look what Jesus did, having that knowledge. Verse 4, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now let's be clear in this. Put it in its historical setting. This is not just a host taking good care of his guests. This was unheard of. Here's typically what would happen. A servant would be called in. You're having people over for dinner. And in that day, and and you've all been places like this, whether it's, uh, you know, you don't have to go very far to where you might say, oh man, I walked in some stuff today. I wouldn't want to touch the, you don't say this, but I wouldn't want, you don't want to touch the bottom of your shoes, right? Because of where your shoes have been that day. 
Well, picture that and picture then coming into a dinner party where your exposed feet are like your shoes were. And not only that, the posture for this dinner party is that you're reclining and your feet are near other people as they proceed to eat dinner, okay? So you, you kind of get the picture, and that was why feet needed to be washed in that day. So they would call in a, a servant and have them wash their guests' feet. Now Jesus, we know, was considered to be a rabbi, a teacher, and uh, it was common for a rabbi's disciples to serve him. But they were exempt from washing his feet because it was such a lowly task. Even the, the disciples of a rabbi weren't expected to do that. It would be a slave or a servant. But not even all of them were required to do that. If a, a Jewish host, a Jewish person who had the home, had people over, if they had a Jewish slave, they were not required to wash people's feet. It would be the next lower one on the rung and that would be a Gentile slave. That's how lowly they considered that task to be. Jesus, his action was what could never be expected or required of him, ever. And hear what you have is that which only the lowest of the low. And here you have the King of Kings getting down and doing that, washing their filthy, smelly feet. And he did so lovingly and willingly. Most kings, what they do is, you, you're, you're very fortunate if you are granted a five-minute audience with a king. And here is the king instead. Going for your feet, dressed like a slave, and serving in the lowliest possible way. He did what what no one would ask, and as we will see here, made some of the disciples very uneasy. For instance, look at his interaction with Peter, verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Oh, I love Peter. <laughs> I love Peter. You know, he's, he's the guy that takes the pressure off of everyone else in the room, Right? <laughs> Because everybody is wondering that very thing. Jesus washes 
22 feet and it comes to Peter's feet and he said, wait, what, what, what's going on? Peter, you could count on him to blurt it out. And that's why I love him. And yet, if I'm Jesus, I, I just have to think, I would be there saying, Peter, Peter, come on, can you not just one time stop talking? <laughs> but Jesus patiently doesn't do that. He doesn't even rebuke Peter. Jesus answered him this, verse 7. Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand now, looking back, we know that Jesus is saying, after my death, after my resurrection, you're going to get it. You're going un to understand this. The humiliation that you are seeing me experience right now is nothing compared to the humiliation you're going to see in a few hours. They would get it. And Jesus knew that. James Boyce says Jesus was giving a dramatic illustration of his entire ministry by doing that. So Peter still can't stop himself. <laughs> and he insists, uh, verse 8, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Now, without over-spiritualizing this one bit, I think we can say Jesus is saying, look, Peter, you have to be washed by me. If you want a relationship with me, it's not about what you do for me. I'm going to wash you. And that's the case for all of us. Augustine said this, the first way to truth is humility. The second way is humility. The third way is Humility. That's the way to truth. That's the way to Christ. And when we try to work our way to God, we aren't allowing him to serve us. We're, we're not allowing him to wash us. We're saying, look, I can wash myself. And I can do it better than you. Do you see how offensive it is when, when you put it in those terms? And yet that's always our default. We always fall back on thinking we can, we can work our way to God. So Simon temporarily gets it. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, when he said, you can't have any part of me unless I, I, I wash you. He said, Lord, then not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. It's all or nothing Peter. 
Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you're clean, but, but not every one of you. It's a, a little bit of an enigma. Let me, let me read to you from one of the commentators. Jesus insists that those who come to him in faith receive a once and for all cleansing that need never be repeated. So our salvation is that once and for all cleansing. Jewish dinner guests would bathe at home and it was only because they walked through dirty streets that their feet needed to be washed. Likewise, whoever receives the cleansing ministry of Christ's atoning blood is clean once for all. So what's the only your feet need to be cleaned? Well, that's that's our daily sin. That's that's things we need to continue to, to deal with live a life of, of repentance, and he will continue to cleanse us throughout our life. Verse 11, for, uh, well, going back to 10, where he says, uh, uh, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you're clean, but not every one of you. And, and then he goes on and says, for He knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Now, here among them was Judas. By the way, Jesus washed his feet too, didn't he? The ultimate humiliation maybe? So here is Judas who had seen the miracles, who had listened to Jesus' teaching, who had watched him in everything he did during these years of ministry. But Jesus says he's not really clean. This is an application. This is a warning. I I am convinced. And I have to tell you, this week when I was sharing this with the staff, that if there's anything that haunts me as a pastor, and I can't think of a better word than haunt, and it's it's not that I'm, you know, a ghostly kind of haunt, but, but anything that is on my mind on a regular basis... Let me say, I'm, I'm burdened for all who are lost. And all around us, in our community, and sometimes in our own family, there are those that are lost. And I have a burden for that, and I pray for more and more of a burden for that. But, but there's, there's something that, for me, goes even deeper, and I pray about it every single morning. And that is that there could be some that are sitting here on Sundays that are like Judas, not traitors. His his actions eventually came out. But if, if Judas was among us, he would be baptized. He would be a member in good standing. He probably would be serving in some way. Here in the church, there would be no obvious outward way for 
any of us really to know that he was not really cleansed. And I, when I preached through the Gospel of Mark, there, there, there was a passage there where it says that, that somebody Jesus interacted with was left not far from the kingdom. And that's what I pray every single morning. Lord, please don't let anyone who I minister to be left not far from the kingdom. Because to be left not far from the kingdom means to be outside of the kingdom. I'm not saying that to scare you. It's a burden, but it's an application here. That, you know what, Judas fooled every, all of them. Not Jesus, because he knew Judas's heart. But he fooled everyone else. And, and some of you may feel like you've got everybody fooled. Maybe you've even tried to fool yourself. But you don't fool Jesus. And salvation, as we see here, is never just about proximity. It's never about being near those who are saved or around God's blessing. It's only about a personal relationship, faith, and trusting in Christ alone for eternal life. Now Jesus the example here becomes Jesus the teacher. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. So Jesus goes back to his, his teaching um, mode. And then he gives... As a teacher, he gives a primary application. Verse 14, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So Jesus is, is saying here, look, this is pretty simple. So simple uh, that I could show it to you, and I just did it these last few minutes. And in watching this, they saw him further descend into his greatness, his humility, as he went toward the cross. And we need to follow him there. We need to outserve our spouses. We need to outserve our deacons here in the church. We need to outserve our ushers, our children's workers. We need to outserve one another. Everyone you come in contact with. And if we begin to do that, if that's all of our heart, that I'm following Jesus in this, if we begin to do that, it will transform us and it will transform our church and in turn will transform our community. And then Jesus talks about a blessing. Verse 16, truly, Truly I say to you, a servant's not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So he's saying, look, it's, I want you to know these things, but it's not enough just to know them. That's not where the blessing comes. If, if it's all up here and you know all of those things, he's not promising blessing. He says, here's where the blessing comes. When you do what you know. When you literally follow my example in this. After you come to Christ and trust in him alone, then follow his example. Blessing comes when you do them. Now here's what I want to leave you with, though. If it's not just that example, if, it, if it's not enough that he offers blessing, this whole passage began with, and we started with, where he says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, some of you may say, but doesn't John, the Gospel of John, talk about him loving the world? And the answer is yes, it does. And there is a love for the world, but it's different than his love for those he calls his children, his own. It's like, as I stand here, I can honestly say, I love you. I love you people. And I really mean that. But it's different when I turn to my wife Connie and say, I love you. You see the difference in the kind of love? They're both real, but there is a difference. If you're trusting in Christ alone for salvation, you are According to this, his own. If you're in a lonely place, know that in Christ, you are his own. If you're struggling in this life, if you're struggling to know your direction, if you're struggling to know your identity, know that if you are trusting in Christ alone, you are his own. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that for your children we are your own. May that bring us comfort. May that be our incentive to follow you to those deepest places as we serve one another. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.